Now listen, if you don't think that is some of the best live uh, rock and roll in history, uh, as uh, Rod Stewart used to say, I don't know where you have been. This is um, podcast number 328, entitled The Face Behind the Mask, and that was a live 1971 performance of Steppenwolf doing Magic Carpet Ride, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes because it directly relates to something that happened as a result of the previous podcast, which was entitled Magic Carpet Ride. Now, the um, uh, I, I want to talk about um, the title of the, the um, uh, cast comes from a movie that was made in 1941 that's one of my little favorites, and it's entitled The Face Behind the Mask. It was... Uh, um, released in 1941 and starred Peter Lorre, and it's very good in its own way. It's a kind of pathos. It's a, there's a pathos to it as opposed to horror, although it has the horror dimension about a man who's horribly disfigured, who um, unjustly, needless to say, and then wreaks vengeance on those who have um, disfigured him. <laughs> and uh, uh, the thing I want to talk about is the face behind your mask. Because um, you know, we talk about it all the time. We want to get underneath the surface. We want to find out what people are really thinking. We want to help in Mockingbird and our Christian work. We want to um, find uh, access for the listener and the reader and each of us, including those who are me, we want to find access to the face behind the mask, which is just absolutely um the essential person, what you're really thinking. We talk about it, and we sometimes approach it, but usually, as uh, T.D. Bishop Jake says, there's, you know, you have your testimony, and then you have your X-rated testimony, which you never say. There's always something much worse. And, of course, we hide it. Of course, we don't want people to know. It may just be our thoughts, our innermost thoughts, which are (coughs) violent or lurid or mean or cruel or um, deeply depressed, uh, deeply anxious. Uh, We just don't want anyone to see it. It's hard enough knowing that it's there. So um, we talk about the face behind the mask, but in fact, we really get to it. And I want to talk about really the the getting to it, because it's really important. If you don't get to it in life, it's there, and it will really come out. It will come out probably when you're dying. I've said that before. You're probably getting sick of it, but it's really true. And it's not just true, it's importantly true. Two of people, as I said in the last cast, that I knew quite well over a long period of time died suddenly this week. And um, the... uh, the face behind the mask is the essential you. I'm not saying it because that's the person that's going to face God in the afterlife, though it is. It's, that is the person that you are. That is the, the essential self, because it comes out in moments of, of crisis. We, we know this is not just speculation. Let me read to you. I mentioned it before, but I think it's a really a quote really worthy of memorization by Joseph von, Joseph von Sternberg, the um, great Hollywood movie director who did all the Marlena Dietrichs. But he said, said, as I, I um, was referring to Morocco, the 1930 amazing film, um, Sternberg says, in relation to the film's unforgettable ending, quote, the average human being lives behind an impenetrable veil and will disclose his deep emotions only in a crisis which robs him of control. Now, I believe that is absolutely the case. And um, I've seen it uh, confirmed again and again and again and again. Recently, I was with a chap who's um, 
not very well, <clears throat> and he's been quite. Um, he's often suppressed his own uh, feelings out of uh, regard for his wife and his children. No, he's happily married and um, a wonderful, wonderful dad. But he's um, he does have an inner life like everybody does, and there are times when he's been terribly disappointed or terribly wounded or terribly upset. He's much more the victim than the victimizer. Nevertheless, he. Um, said to me, Paul, when I die, and it's conceivable that that day is not all that far off, he said, please destroy all my journals. Now, that was an extraordinary thing for him to say, because I know his journals are a long-term kind of accompaniment to his inner life, but he said, please destroy them all. We know that Somerset Maugham asked that his novels or his last, uh, his correspondence and a great many of his papers be destroyed because he, his inner life, he didn't want to want to uh, be known. Uh, my favorite uh, American screenwriter and comedian, Irvin S. Cobb, um, wrote two autobiographies, and the second autobiography was his real thoughts about things. I have the first, but his second autobiography was his real accompanying thoughts to his very rich and remarkable career, and uh, his daughter destroyed it after he died. She took one look at it and said, oh my gosh. Well, the um, the face behind the mask, it's absolutely uh, essential that this come out. Um, a uh, uh, a, a, a chap uh, whom I uh, adore uh, was on a, a road trip recently, uh, last week, far from where I am, and happened to be listening to a uh, to the last podcast entitled Magic Carpet Ride, and he was very taken with the song, which I happen to think is one of the greats, um, by Steppenwolf. <coughs> and we'll hear another excerpt from it at the end of the cast. And he... Um, he, he's had a couple of blows in his life, to say the least, and as he came to a kind of juncture after listening to this song, which reminded him of someone, uh, of, of someone, he, uh, a sign, there was a road sign right in front of him, and it had the name of the person he had been thinking about, and then another name, and uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, here he'd been thinking about something, and then the name of the person about whom he had been thinking literally was on the sign. There was absolutely no quote, reason, logical reason. It was in the middle of nowhere, and there was the name of the person. And it was the presence of God. It was the presence of God, both loving, comforting, consoling the presence with this person, extraordinary manifestation of the presence of God with this person in the middle of nowhere, having just listened to the end of the podcast and gravitating more to the to the uh, song Magic Carpet Ride by Steppenwolf than <laughs> to whatever it is I said. And they're and now, then I I saw the picture that this guy took of this remarkable road sign, and um, it had even a deeper level of significance for me because there was another name on the road sign, and it happened to be of someone who had been a terribly mean person to be in prep school. I mean, he 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 was three years older than me. He was a prefect, three years older. He didn't know me at all, and I didn't know him. I just was in awe of him. He was about three feet taller than I was, and he was this prefect, and he, he loved to give me demerits for minor infractions, and I why does he not like me? I couldn't, he didn't even know me. For whatever reason, he'd taken a dislike to me. And there was, there was the name of this person on the left of the sign, and the name of the much 
loved person on the right. And I said, oh my gosh, this applies even to me. I mean, God is, God is speaking to me. But don't look back at the guy that was such a cruel little persecutor for a year or so when he had the power to do it um, versus someone that uh, a, 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 a person in a parish that I thought was just the best Honest, most admirable person and faithful person I knew. It was it was for me as well. So it was so interesting. The face behind the mask. I remembered this guy who was one of the few people that ever disliked me for reasons that I had absolutely no understanding of or ability to comprehend or fathom. Now um, let's talk a little bit more about this uh, face behind the mask. Um, I uh, had a real insight into this. Um, this is really God's work in you, by the way. This is not just Paul's opinions about life and death and my own experience of growing older or looking back on various things, whether it's a mean person in school or a, a moment of truth in the hospital. It's, uh, this is about really the universality of what's, what's actually um, going on in, uh, in life. So I'm... Uh, I'm on the track yesterday trying to, I walk as much as I can in the time of recovery and it's getting better each day and yesterday was pretty good. But something had happened uh, down in Birmingham, Alabama, basically just two days ago, <clears throat> essentially, and I'd found out about it yesterday and was just crushed by what I read. Uh, and um, it turned out that I had, uh, that the piece that I'd read was wickedly inaccurate. But nevertheless, a very bad thing had happened. The the uh, the parish that I served as dean there for 10 years almost uh, had been quite obviously uh, and uh, um, I would say with intention uh, deceived uh, by the ecclesiastical authority, uh, deceived uh, on a major point. And uh, it was it's happened before in my ministry when someone in ecclesiastical authority has been Machiavellian, but this was very Machiavellian, and it came out. It's come out. It's come out big time. And um, uh, that's not really the point. As I was walking around the track, I thought of the fellow who'd written me to sort of say what actually happened, someone I love and know, and I burst into tears. I cried. I, I, and then I, and then Mary met me because she she was going to meet me after I'd done one lap because she had something else to do and then we met and did another lap and as I was talking about this situation, uh, li listen up, beloved Robin Anderson, uh, who is, is not in the story at all, but someone that um, will understand this uh, event. Um, that is to say, my tears. I, I burst into tears again. I mean, I couldn't. I started speaking, and I, my, my voice caught. You know how it does with guys, maybe with girls too, but with girls, it's a little easier with crying. I, I, my voice caught. It caught twice. I thought to myself, why am I so emotionally involved? I'll tell you what it was. It was love. It really was that. I felt... I felt suddenly very close to the people of the Church of the Advent in Birmingham, hundreds of whom I knew, hundreds of whom I still know. That's not an exaggeration, because when you're in a place a long time as a parish uh, minister, you get to know people. Uh, you, you just do uh, over time, not just the people in the parish. And my love for the people of the Advent, uh, all sorts of like a 80 faces suddenly just came to me, was so great, and I'd sort of blocked it, or I'd forgotten how much I loved the people there. I just had forgotten because of all sorts of intervening events. And I was just overwhelmed by the love I had and by the, the, the 
sense that that they had been um, had 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 been treated badly, had been treated really very badly um, by a powerful entity, and maybe that's something that I can identify with. But I really did. That's what it was. It was love for the people. I was just overwhelmed with a deep love for these Christian people. And um, that was the sort of thing that was, it was, that was what was revealed by the um, um, uh, getting the true, the accurate story, the dope, as they used to say back in the World War II movies, the dope on what had actually happened this week in connection with something. <clears throat> and when I realized that the, uh, that they had been treated very, very badly, I, um, as a whole, as, as a group, in terms of their loving, humble stand for what I believe is, is good and right, um, and courageous, and loving, actually. It's ultimately a labor of love, despite all the sin that we have in our lives. It was ultimately a labor of love. I just, um, I burst into tears. And uh, that told me that what's really important was not the issue itself, but was the love that I had for the people. Now, let me say one other thing. Uh, We live in a time when people are uh, absolutely absorbed by secondary um, uh, loyalties, specifically gender and uh, race and uh, ethnic uh, identities. I was with a very, very... um, Really, a very celebrated academic the other day, who's very liberal. He's he's he, he he's very liberal in his politics and his overall approach. Fits right in with the except he's about my age and he's seen the damage that the extreme um, mono. Um, it's really um, uh, it, it's a one note uh, focus on identities, gender specifically and race identities have had in his field, which is completely abstract and not at all related to this, but it transcends it. It's not against anything, but it transcends it. And he's seen the, the um, devolution of thought and uh, traditional thought in light of this massive concentration in academia on gender and racial identities. And um, the thing is about that is that it's not that these are bad people, but they're missing out on what's really important. And what's really important, as I say, is the connection of love that you have or you don't have in your life at various points. And ultimately, your as you die with that most important question of do you have a connection of love with another human being? It could be a son. It could be a daughter. It could be a... um, Ideally, it should be... your husband or wife. That's the way God meant it. That's really true. That's, that's the way he meant it. You can get on me about that, but that's what the Bible clearly says. A man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined his wife and the two shall become one flesh. That is a that is an extremely important uh, fact, albeit often um, misled and, and diminished and hurt and damaged. I'm fully aware of that, and God's grace covers a multitude of scenarios. But the... Um, that's the most important thing. And all these people, especially young people, he said that the undergraduates want to take his courses. His courses are sort of basic courses on, you know, on uh, Hume and uh, Locke and uh, uh, Marx and, you know, the Heidegger, you know, basic courses on uh, philosophical issues. And the undergraduates are terribly interested, but it's the, it's, the fellow, it's the fellow professors who are the younger ones who have been completely infiltrated by secondary concerns. I didn't say bad concerns. I said secondary, but the result of this is, in my opinion, 
is it, it, it's so woefully inaccurate to what really drives people. So here I was on the track. You know, I could have gotten incredibly angry at what's happened in Birmingham, and it is very, very upsetting, uh, and and needs to be held accountable. It needs to come out. It needs to come out, and someone needs to apologize, or nothing, or it'll just get twice as bad as it's ever been in terms of tension, twice as bad, um, if it's not apologized for and repented of on the part of the person that did it. But that was not what made me cry. What made me cry was not my anger over that or my righteous indignation or my hurt for the sake of the church. It was my love for these people. I saw individuals. I could name them right now. I, could, I, could, I told Mary, I could, name, I could name easily 300 people. That's not an exaggeration. I could easily name 300 individuals right at this moment, even though my memory is not what it was, um, with, and tears would come because I was with them in this, that, and the other crisis and situation and the love of God coming in a fresh way into their normal human lives. That's what it was. And it's not <coughs> about... Um, uh, political and or um, contemporary issues of any kind. It's not about secondary identities at all. And I fear for people who are completely co-opted by these secondary um, concerns which have now been elevated into primary ones of human existence like economic inequity and so forth. These are not the primary things. You don't die. The the homeless man who's dying in the streets of New York is not thinking uh, about economic inequity when things get really, really bad. He's thinking about his mother. Or he's thinking about some girl he knew 20 years ago. You know, um, he's thinking about um, maybe somebody who was nice to him just yesterday in an O. Henry type script, someone who cared about him. That's what he's thinking about. And all these things are, I often think that a lot of these people who are co-opted will commit suicide because the the paucity of their um, primary concerns to support the um, discontinuities and hurts and losses and dissonances and Goliaths of life um, is insufficient. Um, I was uh, in a Bible study uh, the other day when um, we were talking about David and Goliath, John Saul's brilliant Bible study on 1 Samuel, and he said, does anybody have sort of, can you give an example of a Goliath in your life? And someone in the, in the, uh, in the, um, in the group who's absolutely terrifically together person, it just suddenly occurred to her. She raised her hand and said, well, my Goliath is the, the sudden death of my husband. It was some years ago. She said, that, that, that day when I got that phone call, the sudden accidental death of my husband, um, that, and, and, and there was suddenly, oh my God, you know, the, the woman on my left who's had a similar experience in her own way recently immediately broke into tears. The woman next to her got, and it wasn't just, you know, hysteria. Um, I, got, I, got, I was enormously touched. She said, that's my Goliath, is the sudden death of my husband. And then somebody to the right of John <laughs> chimed in about a terrible thing regarding an adult child. <clears throat> and all of a sudden we were, we were in the journal, you know, the journal that wants to be destroyed. We were the face behind the mask. <clears throat> there it was. It was the face behind the mask. Now, I want to end just by asking you to consider the um, outing yourself to yourself at least about what really matters and perhaps there's someone else with whom you can talk about it. I was reluctant at first to talk to Mary about what had happened in Birmingham because I knew it would upset her and she had so many other details to cover. Major things that we're dealing with as we prepare to, to for Christmas uh, travel and so forth and so on. It's complex because of the era in which we live. It's complex. And I was reluctant to tell her my feelings that I had. I these feelings of enormous um, deeply um, 
heartfelt uh, love for these people, the congregation there. And I, but I did. I, I, I overcame my, I opened the face behind the mask. I opened the journal. And I said, this is what I'm really thinking about. And I was so glad I could. It made such a difference. Well, that's what I wanted to say. And we're going to end with, uh, again, another excerpt from an absolutely fabulous song from the late 1960s that made such an impression on yours truly. And I think you'll be able to uh, consider this song as the background music to your opening of your journal right now. Merry Christmas, and I love you.